seven years ago, I took a little bit of a hiatus from finance and I went to art school here in Boston, which sounds like lunacy. However, starting a business is really one of the, one of the, the big creative acts, right? It's a, it is a creative act. Hello, I'm Piyush Podar, and you're listening to Humans Behind DX Podcast, where I talk to leaders from digital agencies and organizations delivering awesome digital experiences. Today, I'm going to talk to Jessica Dreslin, CEO at Open Scholar. Welcome, Jess. Thank you, Piyush. Good to be here. Jess, tell us who you are. I'm the CEO of, of Open Scholar uh, here based in Boston. And we are a, a software company, and we were originally a research project at Harvard. We lifted the platform out of Harvard three years ago to bring it to the broader research community. And by that, I mean Research One universities, medical research institutes, and teaching hospitals. And so we provide not only the software, but also the services that are wrapped around and supportive of that software. So the hosting and the help desk and the system administration training and theming for all of the, the websites that we bring to the research community. So I run the company um, and I have a team here in Boston, a team of developers and a team of sales, marketing, go-to-market folks, uh, people that help with design work uh, on our on our websites and uh, some folks that help with uh, training and project management on the rollout side. And then we also have folks that work with um, DevOps system administration to back up data and to make sure the servers are, are all running in tip-top shape. Um, and that's the team. Nice. And this uh, this product uh, is powering uh, some of websites of Harvard and probably similar other um, large education institutes, right? That's correct. We power the websites of uh, the University of Virginia, uh, Rice University, Harvard, as you mentioned. Uh, we work with the Broad Institute, which is a genomics medical research institute here in Boston, uh, Huntington Medical Research out in California, um, UC Merced, Olin School of Engineering. Um, we are working with um, Joslin Diabetes, uh, a number of, of um, great research institutions um, here in the U.S. primarily. Wow, that's amazing. And, and do you want to tell us a bit about, you know, your story and how did you got involved with the project? Um, so I actually did not start out my career in software at all. I started out my career working in private equity, investing in technology companies. And so what I loved about that was that I got to meet with all sorts of interesting, driven, ambitious entrepreneurs and hear their ideas and see how they were growing their businesses and you know, acquiring other companies and building out their teams. And it was fascinating to me. So I got to analyze and evaluate that from the operational business standpoint, uh, from the standpoint of, is this uh, a viable investment opportunity? How big is the market? You know, can it grow? What are the other competitors in this space? So there's a lot of strategy and a lot of financial analysis involved, but also a lot of um, people analysis, sort of, you know, 
is this a, a solid team? You know, are these folks that are going to be able to grow and build this business? And so that was a terrific uh, introduction to technology and software through this through a different lens, really through the, sort of the financial analysis, strategic analysis lens. What I always knew in doing that was that I felt that I was at an arm's length from where the real action was. And so I always thought, well, you know, this is fun and interesting because I get to look at new, fascinating technologies and businesses and these terrific teams every day. But I think what I'd rather be doing is rolling up my sleeves and working with one of these groups. And so, you know, I'd always had um, an entrepreneurial bent and and knew that I wanted to ultimately um work in an operational role, but also to, to probably run something. Right. So, yeah. So, so I, you know, fi- finance, I, I worked in finance for almost 20 years. Um, and then I moved into, uh, the software space. I actually, um, about seven years ago, I took a little bit of a hiatus from finance to do a bit of a career pivot. And I went to art school here in Boston, which sounds like lunacy, um, <laughs> but it was a terrific step away from what I've been doing for most of my career. And, you know, sort of drawing and sculpting and just looking at blank canvases. It was really interesting. It allowed me to think a lot during that year about, um, you know, kind of what drives me as an individual, like what makes me tick and what makes me excited to get out of bed in the morning. And so, you know, one of the, I guess it it seems sort of like they're disconnected, right? Art school in the world of business. However, starting a business is really one of the, one of the, the big creative acts, right? It's a, it is a creative act. And so, I um I went to work after art school. I actually was able to bring the skills that I had acquired in finance and in business um, to a company called Invaluable here in Boston, which was a software company. It still is that creates software for um, the art auction world. So Sotheby's and Christie's use this platform for their online art auctions. And I was their head of strategy. So what what that meant was I was looking at the core competency of the technology of, of the company. And I was looking at opportunities for, uh, for, for creating revenue in, in the, in the marketplace. So, you know, where are there opportunities to take this, this software platform and connect it to, um, you know, growth potential opportunities in the marketplace and drawing a long line between those two things, between the, the, the core technology capabilities and the the market growth opportunities. So that's really strategy, right? It's coming up with new revenue channels um, that's dri- that are driven off of the core capabilities of, of the, the, the technology of the business. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, what I realized in, in that uh, company working in that role is that I, I wanted to continue doing strategy, but that I ultimately wanted to to do my own thing, to run my own thing. So I started to look around a little bit um, and talk to different groups because I had a number of ideas that came out of these strategy sessions, things that we were maybe not going to use and invaluable, but I thought, well, maybe I could build a business around this. And in that kind of um, really kind of brainstorming um I came across a number of different people, uh, one of whom was Gary King at Harvard. And Gary is, he's now my business partner, but Gary at the time, and he still is, he's a professor at Harvard University. He runs the Institute for Quantitative Social Sciences at Harvard, in addition to being a professor of political science. At the Institute of Quantitative Social Sciences, he he incubates a lot of platform technology that gets used throughout Harvard University. One of those platforms was Open Scholar. So I met Gary and talked with him about 
some of the platforms he had incubated. And we took a hard look at Open Scholar. And, and at that point, it had seeped out into other universities because we had open sourced it. Um, so it was available. Um, but other universities wanted all this, the services that we provided within Harvard. We couldn't do that within Harvard because, you know, it's a not-for-profit. The only way to bring that whole suite of services to the world was to lift the technology platform out of Harvard. So I joined forces with Gary. And this was really kind of this amazing opportunity because I'd, you know, I'd, I'd wanted to, to shift into a strategic role, a leadership role. I love the software world. Um, I love the idea of growing something and creating something new and interesting for the world. So I joined forces with Gary. I went into Harvard um, in a, the role of head of strategy of the Open Scholar Project at Harvard with the goal of lifting the platform out of Harvard. So what that meant, it, it meant getting a lot of buy-in from the administration at Harvard to turn the project into um, a vendor, that we would transfer the IP of the, of the project to the company and lift it out with the development team and incorporate it. And Harvard would then become our largest customer. And that's what we did. And that took about eight months. Um, and that was the birth of Open Scholar. It was the very end of 2017, December, probably the, the January of 2018 is when we physically left Harvard's campus. So it's been just three years uh, since we we started the business officially. Um, and so that, that that was, you know, that's the, the origin story of Open Scholar. Right, right. Uh, it reminds me of a quote by Lewis, uh, Lewis Carroll. Uh, he says, the things you regret most in life are the risks you didn't take. And it seems you saw the right opportunity and the right pain points when you were, I mean, you know, the, everything that you started off right with private equity, investing in tech, getting involved in art school to meeting Gary King and uh, the opportunity being given by Howard, I believe, you know, that, that, was, that must have been a great timing and great luck. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you knock on, I mean, sort of sort of like, you know, um, preparedness meeting opportunity, right? You, right? There's luck out there. There's yeah. so much, most of life is luck. Of course. But you're not going to find it if you're not knocking on lots and lots of doors. You're not putting yourself out there all the time, talking with smart people, talking with people with ideas, talking with people that want to do things and join forces. And so, um, you know, there, there were a lot of doors that I knocked on, a lot of different opportunities that arose. Gary is just a remarkable human being. And we had terrific professional chemistry the moment when I met him um, and I knew I wanted to work with him. One thing that he really kind of um, imparted at our first meeting is just that any, uh, there, there's all, all, all these hurdles and, and problems are just, you know, they're just things that we've got to come up with, with, a, with a good solution for, right? So everything was just a riddle to solve and it was a challenge and it was interesting and it was a learning experience. And I loved that because everything about entrepreneurship is, you know, every single day there are these new hurdles and things that seem insurmountable. But if you face it with this attitude of, okay, we've just got to figure out how to get over this thing and we've never seen it before, that's okay. We've got good problem solving skills. We've got smart people. We're just going to work at it from different angles. And so that was one of the reasons why um, I wanted to join forces with him. It's a very comforting feeling to have someone who views problems as, as opportunities that we just haven't figured out, you know, sort of a, the solution to yet. So that that was a big part of it, uh, for sure. And as to Lewis Carroll's quote, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you, um, you don't want to, you know, look back on your life and say, you know, I should have done this, I could have done that, right? I mean, you can't do everything. Um, but I do think that um, 
you know, people, people don't regret taking, you know, calculated risks. Um, and a lot of what you do in your life leads you to, um, you know, if you're putting the work in, you're putting the time in, it leads you to lots of different opportunity sets, right? And so sometimes the question boils down to sort of like, okay, well, which door do I open? When I first decided to do this with Gary, I had a couple of other big opportunities and I had to decide. And I knew that it's that old adage of, you know, when you say no, you only say no to that one thing. But when you say yes, you say no to everything else. And so whatever I said yes to, it meant I was shutting down these other opportunities. So once you do that, for me, there was like this period of a little bit of you know, buyer's remorse or sort of not depression, but just sort of what have I done? How am I going to do this? And maybe I should have done the other thing. And of course, you always think you should have done the other thing because the thing you're, you're focused on right now, it's real and it's hard. And th- those are the problems you've got to solve. So I fa- basically had a, you know, sort of a talk with myself, which was, you know, okay, you pick this thing, you're going to stick with this thing, you're going to make this thing work. And suddenly it was like, all right, marshal all your forces and all your energy, all your mental focus, and let's figure this out. Because it hadn't, we hadn't done this before. Harvard hadn't had a, um, a research project that had been lifted out of the university ever before. And so not only did we not know what we were doing, but Harvard didn't have any experience doing this either. So we were feeling our way and um, massive learning curve very stressful, um, you know, but super interesting, right? We really learned a lot. Right, um, yeah. And, you know, that the tenacity is a big part of it too, because it's, you know, you don't know if it's going to work out. You don't know when it's going to work out, but, but you, if you can hang in there for long enough, something's going to work out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, love it. One riddle at a time, you know, life is all about riddles. Uh, just keep solving them. Uh, well, I mean, the next thing I wanted to ask was, you know, you know, learn a bit about your philosophy of success and purpose in, in life and work. But I think you've already covered that. Um, is there anything else you would like to add to that question that you probably just answered? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I have a sort of a, a philosophy or anything like that. But I do think that a couple of things that helped me when I was doing this pivot, for anyone who's thinking about pivoting into a different career or whatnot, um, one of the, the really amazing exercises I did, which is so simple, it's going to sound ridiculous, but a friend of mine from business school found himself in a similar situation where he was looking to shift into a different career. And he'd done a lot of different things in his career. So he could have gone into business development or sales, or he could have been a strategist or a head of operations, but he was sort of like, you can't do everything. And if you divide your energy not only are you going to be um, spent and burnt out, but you're not going to recognize a good opportunity when it comes your way. And you're not going to present yourself as the best candidate for any of these things because you're saying, you know, I could do lots of things. So he said, you've got to do this thing that I did, this exercise called, you know, must have, must not have. And you take a, an eight by 11 piece of paper, you, you put a line down the middle and on the left-hand side, you say must have. And on the right-hand side, you say must not have. And must is the, is the, the important word here. Um, and you have put three to five items on each side. And the only rules are that it can't be uh, less than three or more than five. And they cannot be um, the opposite of one another. You can't say, I want to work with really, I must work with really smart people. I must not work with, you know, really not, uns- you know, not smart people. They have to be different. And the only other rule is that there are no rules. And so you can put down anything. You can say, well, I want to work with redheads. I mean, crazy, right? This isn't for HR. It's for you. So I had this list. And he said, you know, Take a couple of days, write your list out. You absolutely must have to, to make your life 
great and to make you excited about going to work um, and what you must not have, like what would actually, you know, be drudgery to you or would just really um, detract from any role that you're in and spend the time doing three to five on each side of that page and then put it in a drawer and then take it back out again and spend some more time. And then when you think you've got it, give it to one person, just one person, not a committee. One person knows you really well. Maybe that's your your spouse. It's your it's your sister. It's your um, you know your mentor, whomever, and say, "Does this sound like me?" And if the person says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, this is you," then you're done. And I was like, "Well, wait a minute. What happens next?" And he's like, "Oh, what happens next? Well, that's when the magic happens because it becomes a filter." And so you have these three things that I must have, and these three things that I must not have. And he said, "So what you're going to do is you're going to say no." to 99% of every opportunity that comes over the transom. And you have to be disciplined and stick to it because when you say yes, you are going to know exactly. It's going to, because now you've got a filter. So the thing that, that fits your filter when it comes through, not only are you extremely confident and sure of it, but every person you talk with about it, when you interview, when you're convincing them, you are so clearly the only person for that role that it comes through. And so he's like, so basically you're separating signal from noise and you're separating out like all these like possible things you could do that you're lukewarm on or that you could talk yourself into. And it's only, so it was this amazing filtration system. So what ended up happening, and he said to me, he had one caveat. He's like, be careful because you might have a couple things that fit the filter and then you're going to have to decide. And that is exactly what happened. I had this possible role with Open Scholar and Gary and another role, which was equally kind of awesome. And I was like, damn, I've got to decide. And so that did happen, but it was so obvious that it was one of these two and everything else was just like, nope, 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 nope. And once you're able to do that, it is incredibly clarifying and it just, you become the best candidate for the role that fits the filter and people know it. So that was a really excellent exercise that I did. It was probably the most useful, um, exercise I've done in my professional career in terms of finding fit. Okay. Um, the only other thing I would say, so that's like making sure you're putting your energy in the right place. To, to take a step back from that, the only other thing I would say that's helped me um, in my career and in life um, a lot is managing your energy and making sure that it's, that it's maximized, like maximizing your positive energy. And so by that, I mean, that can be, it's different for every person, but for me, it's like, you know, you got to get enough sleep. You got to get out in the sunshine every day. You got to exercise. You got to, you know, eat healthy food. You got to be around people who are positive, cut people out who are negative and toxic, you know, don't watch crappy television, you know, don't like eat junk food. Like it's all about like <laughs> maximizing your energy so that you can go into any situation and the energy that you exude is, it is dispositive in the sense that like it's, it attracts great people with high energy. Um, it attracts great opportunities. And so you have control over that. It's one of the few right. things you yeah. have control over. So if you get your energy right, then the next thing would be not necessarily do the must have, must not have exercise, but make sure you're focusing your energy in the right direction. And it doesn't have to be perfect in terms of focusing where you focus your energy. Yeah. It just has to be like roughly like, a, like the right framework will get you there. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's like you, you could be in the ballpark, but your energy is right. And it's, it's an area that you're interested in and all of a sudden magical things start to happen. Right. Um, and so those are kind of the two things, getting your energy right and, and figuring out where you're going to focus it sort of roughly speaking. And the last thing I would say 
that has been helpful to me in terms of advice from other folks as I've been um, leading this company and just sort of um, growing as a, as a human being is to read constantly, but read outside of your discipline. Um, and because if you're reading everything within your discipline, you're just knowing what everybody else in your field knows, and it's Correct. not that helpful. Yeah. Um, but if you yeah. read outside of it, you get all these really cool perspectives. Well, not only does it make you a more interesting person and you run into more interesting people that make you think differently, but also you start to think about problem solving from different angles that you wouldn't think of if you're just approaching it through the same rubric uh, as everyone else. So those would be the three things, getting your energy right, fo- figuring out where you're going to focus it, and and read like crazy outside of your discipline because that's helpful too. Yeah, nice one. And I, I love the uh, the magical framework, the must have and mustn't have. Looks like, you know, it uh, really eases out, you know, the dilemma that you usually have and, you know, often leads to indecision. Um, yeah. We'd love to yeah. Yeah, try it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, analysis paralysis or Correct. like, oh, there's possibilities. And it's like, actually, you know what? You got to boil it down. You have to like stop with like, you know, minimize the number of, of decisions and choices you've got to make by coming up with a framework that's that's narrow, but the one that you've narrowed based upon what you know really drives you and illuminates you. Because right. if it's only like two or three big things that do that for you, fine, just focus on those things. Don't talk yourself into a whole bunch of other things that you're like B minus C plus at. Only do the A plus stuff. Because right. frankly, in any field, you know, there's there's other people, they're gonna be there are people that absolutely adore, love, are, are impassioned by doing a certain thing. And if you're not, like they're always gonna run circles around you because they would do it for no money, right? So you've got to pick the thing that you would do for no money, right? Like the thing that you would just, no matter what, I would just get up and if, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd still get up and do this every day. I'd still get up and work with these people every day. I'd still right. be psyched to do that. And if I couldn't do it, I'd really miss it. Right. If you could find that. That is golden. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Okay, so um, moving on um, from you know achievements and uh, uh, you know the right way of doing the right thing, uh, let's uh, let's shift gears a bit and and look at you know this um, this kind of a different interesting year that we've just had, and uh, you know the world that we are living in today. I mean, as we all know, it has shifted dramatically. What's one most important thing you accomplished last year that you're really happy about? You know, could be personal or professional. Anything mm-hmm. that you'd you'd be open to sharing with the uh, listeners here. Last year, we realized in April that our pipeline had totally dried up. We didn't know it was going to come back. It was right. very scary. Um, we had an amazing pipeline built up through mid-March right. and everyone was just in a tailspin because our, not only, you know, the whole world was in a tailspin businesses were going bankrupt, but also our core constituents, the hospitals and the, the R1 universities were yeah. all saying, well, hospitals were just like crazy, not knowing kind of like when things were going to turn around and they were just on the, on the front lines of everything. So didn't have time to think about anything related to digital infrastructure. And R1 universities were just trying to figure out how do we teach remote? How do we, you know, make sure that we have, you know, students coming back in the fall? Um, You know, they were furloughing employees and administrators. It was just really scary. And so we were in a holding pattern. So instead of, you know, being frozen, we decided to just get crazy creative. And um, we just said, okay, we want to come out of this better. So what's going to make this better? What have we been putting off? Cause we haven't had enough time. Cause we've been onboarding new clients and we've been, you know, 
basically just keep making the business go every day. What have we been putting off? And we said, well, we really want to make the platform a lot easier to use. Well, okay, how much easier? Well, so easy that you could put a website up in an hour. And then we kept pushing that. Well, we also want to make these, these sites beautiful. Like how beautiful? Well, kind of like Squarespace beautiful. Well, can we do that? And so we, we really pushed the envelope on what we could do. And we had this wish list. And we're like, if we, could, we want to make the most beautiful sites in academia that are the easiest to use, that someone who's 75 years old with no coding knowledge can put a site up in an hour. Can we do that? <laughs> All right, let's try and do that. So we spent four months on that, making these presets, designing these templates that are gorgeous. And I would say that um, coming out of, of this you know, holding pattern that we've been in, we are launching these beautiful, beautiful new products. And we're really proud of them. And it's opened up new markets for us. And it's really made us realize there's a lot of things we can do with a small team and just an enormous amount of passion for what we do and open-mindedness. Um, you know, we also had to give up on a lot of um, ambitions that we'd had for, you know, March to September. And so letting go of things um, was part of, of COVID and the pandemic, letting go of things. Um, of course, yeah. And then, but then saying, what are some new things we can do? Um, you know, and I think we did that all in our personal lives too. You let go of plans, you let go of uh, activities, but then what are some new things that you can do? So, um, you know, I, I think we did that with the business and, um, and I'm really happy with how that went. We learned to work remotely. We, we learned to communicate better. I would say that it is very hard um, to communicate on Zoom and on Slack all the time. Right. And so that was challenging, not for us only, for everybody. We figured out how to do that better. So I think we grew stronger as a team right. because we basically spelled stuff out. It was like you know, two people speaking, you know, different languages that are not, they're, they're not native and they're trying to communicate and you just, you over communicate. Um, and so we repeated ourselves a lot to one another to make sure the point got across. So that was a different way of working. Sure, and, yeah. you know, we, we had to forge new paths in, in, in communications, but yeah, I'd say the biggest thing was, was, was just getting crazy creative um, in this, in this period of time and coming, coming up with some, some real, some real diamonds, right? right it's just, right. It, it's been great. Yeah. So uh, summarizing, um, innovating the digital experience that, that open scholar as a product promises to its customers and users. I would, I would say perhaps that's, that's what you, you really achieved, uh, this mm -hmm. last year. And what are you looking forward to 2021? We're almost at the, you know, hopefully we're starting to see the end. Uh, vaccinations are, you know, the drives are on the world over and, uh, you know, probably even economy started moving a bit faster. What, what's yeah. the what's the one North Star this year that you have uh, identified for yourself or for Open Scholar and what are you looking forward to? I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the team again in, in, in person. I'm really looking forward to seeing our, <laughs> our clients again in person. I mean, it's just I've missed seeing everybody in person. Right. And so I'm looking forward to getting on the road again and, and, and traveling to see our clients. Right. Um, so this is it, it's um, I think that's the thing I'm, I'm most looking forward to is, is in-person meetings. I get an enormous amount of energy from the people that we work with, um, not just my team, but also our, our clients and even potential clients who we're cultivating relationships with. I, it's, it's just, 
I mean, I know it's a digital world, right? But we're still like, we're carbon based, not silicon based. Like you need to shake someone's hand, you know? And so I I just, I I miss that. I'm really looking forward to getting that back. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, uh, everyone, I believe every, every listener uh, is having similar, uh, you know, look, look forward expectations as well. Mm. Cool. Um, how and do you think that you know in the last one year since you have done a lot of innovation with your product and the platforms in in general the tech industry or the digital experience platforms or solution ecosystem has evolved a bit as well any um, you know larger uh, trends that you are seeing uh, coming up in the near future that you know agencies and other development uh, entities should be aware of or should take a note off? You know, it's a good question. It's one we think about a lot. Um, I think one of the things that, that that we're noticing and seeing more and more of is that like consumer companies that have done a really great job with um, creating, allowing users to create groups around affinities. And so like one example I'll, I'll note is like Peloton does this, right? Like you can have like hashtag user group of you know people that um, have you know, autoimmune diseases, but that ride the Peloton every day. I mean, it's like these like very narrow um, groups around, you know, different reasons why people ride on the Peloton, for example, these consumer companies, which is digital. Peloton is also a digital company. Um, I think that um, because we've been um, isolated and at a remove and online um, using digital tools more and more, that creating these kind of groups um around affinities is going to continue to be a trend um and that these are sort of powerful narrow narrow cast like marketing channels effectively um that are self-selecting and i think that we're going to see more of that not just um you know you see it in in like the music channels right and like spotify but you see the peloton's been doing a great job of it as, as an example i just noted but um you know, Slack encourages these different channels, but I think you're going to see more and more um, user groups um, around certain use case specificity or just user affinity uh, on the consumer side. Right. Um, Yeah. Right. Okay. And um, so, you know, last few questions. Um, uh, You said, you know, you know, keep reading and try reading uh, things outside of your maybe space to get a, you know, expanded, uh, uh, broader perspective. Uh, Mm. Tell us what are you reading right now or listening to? (laughs) Okay. What am I reading right now? Oh my goodness. Um, I've got a whole bunch of books on my, on my bedside table here, but, um, I, I just finished reading um, a, a, a biography of um, Alexis de Tocqueville by Joseph Epstein, which is like 10 years old. But right. um, that's, I read a book called The, um, the Kingdom of Speech by, by Tom Wolfe uh, last week. Okay. Um, I read, I mean, I read, a, I read a lot of biographies and, and, and histories, but I, you know, and there's some, some um, authors that I really like. I really love anything that's uh, written by Matt Ridley. He wrote The Rational Optimist and The Evolution of Everything and right. Genome and um, uh, How Innovation Works, I think is his most recent book. Um, he's sort of like evolution as a binding principle. And he, he's a, one of the kind of 
um, optimistic folks, scientific folks about the future, like Steven Pinker wrote Enlightenment Now, who's an open scholar user and a Harvard professor. And, um, but I, I, you know, so I just, I read a ton and I read things that are recommended to me by people who are great readers. Um, you know, I'm fascinated by science. I'm fascinated by cognitive science, especially right now by mental models. One of the podcasts that I listen to a lot is, um, and the blogs I read, Farnham Street, The Knowledge Project. Um, He interviews people on, you know, better decision-making, better mental models, learning um, from uh, the best of what every of what other people have already learned, and I found that I found that fascinating. So right, right. You know, there's a couple books like he's got a couple books out on mental models, and there's like this great book, Super Thinking, the Big Book of Mental Models. I'm sort of fascinated with that stuff right now. Um, I also really like the Stoics. Um, so you know Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, and I there's a guy Ryan Holiday who writes a lot about the Stoics, but there's another guy who wrote this terrific book called. Um, Stoic Joy. I'm going to see if I can see where who wrote it. It's like, probably, oh yeah, um, Irvin, who wrote A Guide to Stoic Joy. It's awesome. But basically <laughs> this idea that you can't control anything, pretty much you can't control anything. All you can control is the way that you respond to it. Right. Um, and stoicism gets like this kind of, not a bad rap, but people think, oh, you're stoic and you're emotionless. And that's not what it is at all. It's, it's really just... Um, you know, having control over how you respond to a situation. And there's yeah. a lot of um, there's a lot of peacefulness in that if you can get to that that place. And so I'm sort of fascinated by that. There's a great book that I read. One, I gave it to my nephew, who's he's now 10. And right. it's, a, so it's a kid's book, but it, I thought it was one of the best books I read last year, which is called Chop Wood, Carry Water. Okay. And it's about a, a kid who goes to become a, a, a Japanese samurai. But it's a lot of like stoic wisdom and you know beating on your craft and finding the diamonds in your own field and perseverance and patience um it's a great book there are just a gazillion terrific um <laughs> lessons in it to becoming um you know a master of your trade and 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 doing it patiently over a long period of time um through self-discipline um and then i, I don't know a couple other podcasts i listen to is uh, like freakonomics i love that podcast is great I love The Hidden Brain. Um, that's another great one. Um, I, I read a lot of books. I read, well, he doesn't write a lot of books, but I read everything by Nassim Taleb. Anti-Fragile, I try and read that book every year. Um, he wrote Skin in the Game most recently, which is a terrific book. Um, yeah, and the other the other couple books that I would recommend would be um, Start, uh, Start With Why, um, which was a terrific book that makes you think about um, the why of your company. Like, why do we do what we do? What's the why? That is an excellent book. It was recommended to me by a woman, D- Danielle Chafani at the Broad Institute. She's a fantastic person. Um, and she recommends that book and she recommended it to me. I read it and thanked her for it. The other w- one is uh, Stephen Pressfield's series, The, the War of Art, um, Turning Pro, Do the Work. That trilogy is fantastic. And he basically, it's like um, these short books that are, they offer great advice to, Anyone who's doing something that's like a solo thing, like either an entrepreneur or right. a writer or someone who's starting right. a, uh, a nonprofit. But the idea that like you, when you get out of bed in the morning, there's no one looking over your shoulder. Like the only reason it's going to happen is because you make it happen. And he talks about this war against resistance, which is this invisible force, but it's within all of us. And it can take the form of procrastination or it can take the form of self-doubt or it can take the form of drama or can, anything. But it's basically anything that prevents you from doing the work. And so it is a fantastic uh, trilogy that motivates you. you I read them again and again and again uh, to stay focused. And um, so, yeah, so those are, those are a few of the things. 
Yeah, yeah. Th- those are amazing recommendations, and especially I know what I'm going to recommend to my son, who's 12 years old. Um, Chop wood through water. <laughs> absolutely. The best book I read last year. I it right. was it's so it's just so fantastic. It's such great, great, great life wisdom. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's great. Awesome. Um, and yeah, my final question, and this one is you know pretty uh, uh, personal favorite. Uh, Post COVID nineteen, uh, when the world is back to normal, where would you like to travel or do anything exciting that you'd like to share with us? Do you already shared that you'd love meeting people? So anything other than that? I want to get back on the ski slopes. I was out oh, in nice. Steeple skiing last year. This time with, with like two of my oldest, dearest uh, girlfriends. We we go out and ski every year. One of them lives in Colorado. A couple of friends who live in Colorado. And um, I try and get out to either Vail or to Steamboat every February, sometimes a couple times, February, March, just for a long weekend. Because there's like now these direct flights from Boston on JetBlue. And, and it's just the most awesome, fun. I love skiing. I love being outside. Uh, I love being outside with my old girlfriends and um, not old girlfriends, but girlfriends who have been my <laughs> friends forever. And, um, and so we just have the best time. And right. it's just, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's completely reinvigorating. And we were there last year, this time. It's the last time I traveled anywhere, Piyosh. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's just there. Um, so I can't wait to get back on the slopes. And, and that's what I'll say. Awesome. Well, wish you all the luck uh, so that you, you, know, you get united with powder soon. And, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, where's the best place people can find more about you, your writings or your work, etc.? So go to our website, which um, our, our director of marketing, Elizabeth Dukoff, has re- redone our website in the last. That's another thing that happened over, over COVID. She did a phenomenal job of redoing our website, www.theopenscholar.com. And you can find out all the different things that we do, ways we support you, um, services and products that we offer there. And you can read about the team and yeah, come visit us, sign up for our, our newsletter and blog and, and, and see what's new. Lovely, so that's the www.theopenscholar.com. This was fantastic, thank you so much. Listeners, this is Jessica Drislin. See you next time.